Opening your Bibles tonight to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 2. Ephesians, chapter number 2 tonight. I appreciate that song. It's interesting that the Lord would have burdened their heart with that song because it has a very important thought in it that is organic to the message tonight. In Jesus, I'm safe evermore. It's interesting, it does not say through Jesus I'm safe evermore, by Jesus, of Jesus, or with Jesus I'm safe evermore, but it says in Jesus I'm safe evermore. That's an important distinction that we're going to make tonight. And so Ephesians chapter number 2, I want us to read just a few verses uh, that provide for us a foundation for a series of messages we're beginning tonight. And I want to talk for a few minutes about those before we get into the message about the importance of that little word in, because it does make a difference. Amen. Ephesians chapter number two, and look with me at verse number four. The Bible says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want to read that verse again. And hath raised us up together. Together with who? Together with Christ. Spiritually, when we put our faith in Him, we've been uh, crucified with Christ. We're raised up together by the power of God. The old man has been nailed to the cross. The new man has been quickened and made alive. And in Christ, we have a new walk in Him. We're raised up together and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that You'd bless Your Word, Lord. I know, Father, that tonight if I'm yielded, You can use me. But I know really, Lord, what You're using is Your Word to do the work in the hearts of Your people. And I'd ask, Father, that Your Holy Spirit would have liberty tonight to work in the service. We thank You, Lord, for the soul that came to know You just a few moments ago. And, oh God, it's good to know that Your presence is here and working already. But, Lord, now we ask not just that it be here, but that it be manifest in a mighty way, that the hearts of the hearers, Lord, both in the pulpit and in the pews, would be stirred to a greater love of You. Father, we do love You tonight. Not like we ought to. Not as much as we should, Lord. But teach us to love You more. We thank You for Calvary, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord has given me liberty to begin a seven-part series tonight on this little phrase found seven times in the book of Ephesians, in whom? Now, you may say, well, preacher, what does it mean? Who's it talking about? Well, every single time it's speaking of in Christ. Can I say that when you got saved by the grace of God, you became some things in Jesus Christ? I'm thankful that as a 10-year-old boy, when I got saved, I didn't have to understand everything about salvation to be saved. Can I say to you that if I had to understand everything about salvation to be saved, I'd still be lost today. Somebody say amen right there. There's a lot that mystifies the soul about the good graces of God. But I'm thankful that I didn't have to understand all those things. But I'm thankful that now as I grow in the Lord, I can come to understand some of them. And as we read these passages, I've taken these few verses, Hebrews 2, 4 through 7, and 
I want you, if you've got a place, to just write down that reference because it's going to be a foundation for the next few messages that the Lord gives us liberty to preach. Because it presents to us a principle that just as we were crucified with Christ, the old man was nailed to the cross. When Christ died for your sins and mine, our old man was nailed to that cross. Our sins were nailed to that cross. Our sorrows were nailed to that cross. Our sicknesses were nailed to that cross. You say, preacher, that's unscriptural. The Bible says He's borne all of our griefs and sorrows. With His stripes we are healed. Now, I'm not a health and wealth preacher. I'd be a lot healthier and a lot wealthier if I was. Amen? Uh, but I do believe that the capacity for God to work in the human life is made by carelessly possible through the cross of Calvary. I think because of the blood He can do those things. And as we read this passage, we're struck with the thought that not only were we crucified, not only was the old man nailed to the cross, but thank God that when Christ rose from the grave, we were raised up to walk in newness of life. The cross of Calvary would have meant nothing to you and me without an empty tomb. I believe we have too little emphasis upon the empty tomb today. I believe it's an unbalanced gospel that holds forth the cross, but not the empty tomb. The cross can bring you to conviction. The empty tomb brings you to conversion. The cross can show you what you were. The tomb can show you what you can be in Jesus Christ. The cross can show you the love of God, but the empty tomb can make the grace of God real to you. The empty tomb is vital. The Bible says we've been raised up together in verse 6 and made us. Now, I want you to notice this. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just say tonight, I thank the Lord for Wall Ridge Baptist Church. I think we got a wonderful church, and I, I don't know, I, I think you ought to feel that way. Every crow thinks his crow's the blackest, amen? I think you ought to love your church. I think you ought to love the people you go to church with. I think it's a wonderful place. But can I say that uh, you and me, brother, we're not sitting in heavenly places in a physical sense tonight, are we? Uh, I, I say with the old songwriter, uh, oh, it will be glory. What did he say? Uh, to dwell above with saints in love. Oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints, I know that's a different story. Amen. The truth of the matter is tonight that we're sitting in heavenly places, but not in a physical sense. The Bible teaches that we're sitting in heavenly places, but it says in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean we're sitting physically within the glorified body of Jesus Christ, but it means in the person of Jesus Christ. Positionally, we're sitting in heavenly places. You say, preacher, what good does that do me? Well, when you realize, now listen carefully, when you realize that everything that you're ever going to be in Jesus Christ, you became at the moment that you accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, that ought to do something for you. When you realize that you're not waiting for the victory, you've got the victory. You're not waiting for salvation. You've got salvation. You're not waiting for to be eternally saved. You're not on a payment plan, but you're bought with a price and your temple, uh, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And all that you will ever be in Jesus Christ, positionally, you are that tonight by Him. When God looks at you, He sees a son or a daughter. When He looks at you, He sees His child. We're not waiting for that. The Bible says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. But it doesn't say, beloved, one of these days we shall be the sons of God. It's beloved, now are we the sons of God. John saying, now we are these things in Christ Jesus. All the graces and benefits of the person of Jesus Christ have been bestowed upon our account through the cross of Calvary. Uh, we are not uh, stepsons of God, we're sons of God. Uh, we, we're not second class. 
tonight. We're not an uninvited guest. We're, we're, we're not just a sojourning traveler in the family of God. But we are a full-fledged, certified, bone-to-bone, blood-to-blood child of God tonight by the person of Jesus Christ. And in Him. It's only in Him. You say, is it not by Him? It's by Him, too. But the Bible says we're in Him. You say, what's the difference? You can be something by something. You say, what do you mean, preacher? If I was to go out and, and, and get one of you to help me go out here and get a job wherever you work, I could have got that job by your help. But I could also get fired by my own doing, couldn't I? <laughs> it could be temporary. I could get it through you. But what happens if you're no longer there? I, I, I could receive it with you. That's, that's great. But that doesn't mean it's eternally secure. In Christ Jesus, that means that our salvation... Now listen carefully to this tonight. Our eternal security is tied directly to the relationship of God the Father and God the Son. God will no more forsake you than He would forsake Jesus Christ tonight. God will no more turn His back on you than He would turn His back on Jesus Christ. You say, He did it once before. Yes, neighbor, He did it for your sin and my sin. That that relationship should never be severed again. And it's never going to be severed. Who we are is tied directly to the person of Jesus Christ and in Him. And the encouragement and comfort to me tonight is this. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't have to worry about my status changing with God tonight. I don't have to worry about God deciding to just just unsave me all of a sudden. Aren't you thankful for that? I don't have to worry about me doing something that, that drops me an arch or two in the eternal love of God tonight. As He loves His Son, He loves this Son tonight. I'm thankful that I am these things in Jesus Christ. Not just by Him, not just through Him, not just with Him, not just of Him, but in Christ tonight. I am these things. It's tied eternally to the identity and personhood of Jesus Christ. And I want you to get that phrase. Your salvation is in Jesus Christ, not just of him, by him, through him or with him, but in him tonight. So just as secure as the status of the beloved son of God is tonight, your status in Jesus Christ is just that secure. We find seven times that this phrase is used. Don't you think youngsters need to know these things? Don't you think, you know why, you know why that is? Because they go through a world that teaches them that they're just another, another uh, head of cattle moving through the trough. We live in a world, adults alike, we live in a world that preaches uniformity, that preaches, or a, a, a world that preaches individuality, but shows them conformity and uniformity. You know that? Let me just, and I'm not going to take long. I know we got the Lord's Supper, and I know we got hot dogs, amen, and I hope you're more excited about the Lord's Supper than the hot dog supper, but I'm not going to question you. I don't want to know. That's how you check the carnality of a church. You say, how many of you are excited for the Lord's Supper? How many are excited for hot dogs? Glory! You know, I'm not going to do that tonight. I don't want to know, okay? But, <laughs> but I, I, I think uh, we need to teach our kids that. You know why? Because the world teaches kids, you need to be an individual. But you ever notice that they're all individuals in exactly the same manner? Go out of the mall sometime. Walk through the spooky crowd. You know what I'm talking about. You go, you go in through the side that 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 the that the movie theater is on. It's like walking through a carnival show. Amen. I mean, you see stuff you've never seen before. I mean, stuff that Ripley wouldn't even believe. Amen. And uh, you, you go through that crowd. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to be individuals. But isn't it funny? They all look the same. You know why? Because our identity as believers is founded in the person of Jesus Christ. That's who it's in. I, I think that a kid's never going to understand how special they are till they know the love of God. 
I think a kid's never going to understand how precious they are in the sight of the God of heaven till they see the cross of Calvary. And I think that's important tonight. I think adults need it too, don't you? I know I need it sometimes. Seven times this phrase, in whom, is spoken up. And I know I preached on uh, on Wednesday night on the three in whom's in the book of Colossians. And I want to just take a few moments and talk about a companion verse to the first one we read in Colossians on Wednesday night. Look with me at chapter 1 and look at verse number 7. Uh, now, I, this is going to be a sermon. It's on a, a similar thought, but it'll be different, I promise you. The Bible says in verse 7 of of Ephesians chapter number 1, it says, In whom, now this is speaking of Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Now we dealt with a similar verse in the book of Colossians, but I want to give you three things that I see in this verse tonight. And let me say that the preeminent need of the human soul is that of redemption. It's important. You'll find that these different elements are progressive in the way that they're dealt with. It deals with uh, redemption in Jesus Christ. It goes a little bit further. Well, I got them written all down here. I'll give them to you very quickly, just in case you're wondering what they are. I got them here in this Bible somewhere. Amen. Uh, I give you what all of these different thoughts and different truths are. Uh, we have redemption found in uh, verse uh, number 7. In uh, verse 11, we have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. In verse number 13, it speaks of Him in whom we trusted. At the end of verse 13, it says uh, that in whom we also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And on and on it goes in chapter number 2. We are presented with the church as a whole in verse 21, where it says, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, we have the particular local body in view where it says, in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. And it's a progressive thing, you see, that takes place. And it's interesting that it begins at Calvary. It begins with redemption. It begins with, and can I just put it this way, the merit that we are given through Calvary. I wish that I could convince the human soul tonight that works are a futile effort. Because the chief heresy in the world today, listen carefully, the chief heresy in the world today is works salvation. And I want no part of it tonight. We find it in every denomination. We find it in every religious movement. We find it even in denominations that preach against works salvation. We find a presence of works salvation. This notion that there's something we could do to appease the judgment of God through our good works. But the Bible teaches that our merit is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It says, in whom we have redemption. And can I say tonight uh, that this is an unparalleled need. You know that the greatest need of the human heart is that of redemption. There's a lot of things you probably need tonight. I mean, I'm just being honest. I I know. I know where we're at. I know who our people are. I I, I don't suppose we've got any abundantly wealthy people here if 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 we do. And I don't know about it by now. Amen. (laughs) No, I'm picking at you. But I'm sure we probably don't have any abundantly wealthy people here tonight. And I'm sure there's some needs in our lives. There's probably some of you need a better car. Probably some of you need a nicer house. Probably some of you need a little bit bigger paycheck. And there's a lot of needs here tonight. There may be some of you need uh, need a, a touch from God, healing in your body. There may be some of you that need to hear from heaven. You're discouraged. 
And there's a lot of needs that we have tonight. But do you know that the greatest human need is that of redemption? Because it carries with it the, the greatest cost if it's not met. Do you know that you could live the rest of your life and never get a better car and you'd probably survive? You could live the rest of your life and never get a nicer house. You'd probably survive. You could live the rest of your life. Listen, you could live the rest of your life and have a sickness in your body. It may take your life earlier, but you'll still live for a while. But can I say that if a man dies without the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ upon his soul, that he dies to die eternally. An eternal death. The second death, listen carefully, the second death is an eternal death. Do you get that tonight? Just the same as, as, as the life we have in Jesus Christ is eternal life. The death that is found if we do not accept Christ is eternal death. It's not just a second death. It is a second death. But it's an eternal death that takes place uh, as the soul, as the, the, the person is tormented eternally in the lake of fire. It's an unparalleled need. I, I believe it, that we ought to do things to help people. You know that? I believe we'll do things. I'm not against sending a, a big old truckload of shoes out to some people or, or, or building a well somewhere. Uh, I, I'm not against that. Wish you'd build one on my property so I'd quit having to pay the utility company. Amen. But I, you know, I, I'm not against those things. But can I say that there's a lot of, a lot of missions organizations. Now listen, listen carefully. There's a lot of missions organizations that are satisfied to let people die and go to hell with new shoes and full bellies. Because the preeminent concern in their organization is that of meeting social and temporal needs and not that of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preacher, are you opposed to those? No, I'm not opposed to it, but it ought to be a means. Every time that Christ touched a body physically and did something in a person's life, uh, every time that he met a need, he did it because the gospel was the end means of it. The, the gospel was the, the, the end plan and program. He didn't raise a, a lame man that he might let him walk away in his sins. He didn't open blinded eyes that they might go on blinded from the light of the glorious gospel. Every time he met a need, he met a need that he might meet their spiritual need through the blood of Jesus Christ every single time. You know why that is? Because the unparalleled need of the human heart and soul is that of redemption. That's what men and women need more than anything else. More than money, more than social help, more than, more, more than encouragement tonight, more than unity tonight, people need redemption. More than happiness tonight. You say, preacher, won't redemption make people happy? <laughs> I sure done a number on me, amen. Uh, but, but let me just say, it's not happiness that people, it's not comfort that people need. What they need is redemption. It's an unparalleled need. Let me say number two, it's an unattainable need. No man is able to redeem himself. No man is able to redeem himself. Uh, you, you see, we have a tendency to think in a very Western mindset. I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to that. I, I'm not one of these that, that gets up in the pulpit and takes his shoes off when he gets in the pulpit and quotes a bunch of Hebrew words and says shalom to people. I mean, I, I, I'm not in all that nonsense. I, I, I'm as hillbilly as it gets. You don't want me taking off my shoes. <laughs> but So, so I, I'm not saying that, but we do have a very Western mindset. And when we think of debt, we think of financial debt. But understand that in the Eastern mindset, and to the people that this would have been written, that word redemption had a connotation, not necessarily just of financial debt, but of life debt, of servitude, and of slavery. Do you know that a slave, work as he may, can never purchase his own redemption? (laughs) 
He must always, oh, I like this. He must always be bought by another. He can't purchase his own redemption. You know, somebody's going to own you tonight. Somebody's going to own you. You're either a child of the devil or a child of the king. Somebody's going to own you. And no man liveth unto himself and no man dieth unto himself. We belong to one or we belong to the other. You know, you know the chief lie of the devil in leading men astray is to tell them this, that you can be your own person. I've given this illustration before. Do you know that no, no prostitute ever expected to be a prostitute? No drunkard ever expected to be a drunkard. No drug addict ever expected to be a drug addict. No, they didn't wake up one day and say, you know what would be nice? It would be nice to be a drug addict. No, you know what they said? They said, oh, I'm, I'm going to do just a little bit of drugs. But I'm still going to be the master of my own self. I know how to control myself. I, I know how to, I know how to keep it under, I, I can just drink a little bit. Do you know that God's just as disgusted with drinking a little bit as He is with drinking a lot? Oh, I know, preacher, the Bible says not given to much wine. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, the Bible also says you're not even to look on it when it moveth about in the cup and giveth its color. The Bible says that uh, that wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I don't believe God is just a little bit against alcohol. I believe He's a lot against it tonight, don't you? And I don't know why we do. Uh, you just forgive me. I'm trying to let the Holy Spirit lead me tonight. Listen to me. I don't know why we do with drinking what we won't do with any other sin. I don't know why we say, well, in moderation. Some of you, you've heard it, uh, you've heard it before and you can just click your hearing aids off. You don't have to listen to it again. But for those that haven't, let me just give you this little illustration tonight. We don't ever talk about doing other sins in moderation. We don't ever talk about killing in moderation, do we, Ralph? Nobody says, boy, there's just nothing like getting a good big old steak. And, you know, I, I don't ever kill, but if I'm going to eat a steak, I like to kill a little bit with it. I, I, I don't ever, you know, I'm not one of these binge murderers. But every once in a while, if I'm in a group of people that are murdering, I'm, I might murder a little bit. I, I, you know, I, I don't ever, I mean, I don't just sit at home and murder alone. But if I'm in a party, I might murder a little bit. But we do it with drinking and it's wicked and out of hell. And why is it okay? Why is it okay? It's not okay. God's not okay with it. Listen, and we ought not be either. Nobody says, well, I only kill when I've got a headache. <laughs> Some of you may say that. <laughs> They get bad enough. I just kill a little bit every night, you know, for my heart. That's as wicked and out of hell. But some, somehow it's become okay. You know why? Because the devil knows how to dress sin up. And the devil knows how to make it look good on the commercial. And the devil, you know what he tells you? He tells you, you can do it in moderation. You can control yourself. But no man controls himself. He's either spiritually controlled or sin controlled. One of the two. We're either controlled by the Spirit of God or we're controlled by the mystery of iniquity. One of the two tonight. That's our choice. It's an unattainable need. We can't meet the need of redemption. We can't pay our way out. We can't work our way out. Uh, We can't do a thing to save ourselves. But thank God that the Bible says, in whom? In Jesus Christ. I don't have to tread a bunch of ground that we've treaded before. Because of the cross of Calvary, we've been bought. Our price has been paid. Our sin debt's been settled. And through Jesus Christ, we can have redemption. We see the merit tonight, but notice the means tonight. In whom we have redemption 
through His blood. Boy, aren't you thankful this is a bloody book tonight? Aren't you thankful that Christianity... Hey, listen, I, I like the old songwriter. I'd say, just give me a love all covered in blood and let me shout victory. There's a lot of new ways out here, but they don't satisfy because they don't have the blood in them. And God's not satisfied without the blood. The Bible says where there is no, uh, where there is no sacrifice, there is no remission of sins. God's not satisfied without the blood. Uh, professors may be satisfied without the blood. Religion may be satisfied without the blood. Denominations may be satisfied without the blood tonight. But you're not going to satisfy God except by the blood. That's the only way. That's the only way. Turn with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. You can hold your place at Ephesians. I just want to read a couple verses in the book of 1 Peter. And I want you to see what the Bible says about this blood that was shed for you and me. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse number 18. And let me say first off, the Bible says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Can I say that it takes pure blood tonight to satisfy God? Pure blood. No other man could have died for your sins. No other man had pure blood. The Bible teaches that Christ was born of a virgin. You say, preacher, why is that so important? Because the Bible teaches very clearly that the sin nature is passed down through the man. Some of you women shout glory right there. You can blame it on your husband that your kids are the way they are. Amen. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, it comes down through the man. You say, oh, preacher, I don't believe that. God does. In Romans 5.12, the Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men in that all of sin. You're always born with the nature of your Father. Christ was born with the nature of His. His heavenly Father, not of an earthly Father. Joseph was not His Father. By the way, your new Bibles that tell you that Joseph was His Father are lying. Because Joseph was not His Father. His father was in heaven. He made it very clear uh, there when they found him in the temple as a 12-year-old boy when he said, Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? He wasn't talking about Joseph. Joseph didn't even know he was there. Joseph had come looking for him. Joseph had scolded him when they had found him. And he said, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? He wasn't talking about an earthly father. Talking about a heavenly father. Because he had no earthly father. He had a heavenly father. He took upon him the nature of his heavenly father. And consequently, he was sinless. Anybody that tells you that Jesus Christ may have sinned, you need to run from them as quick as you would from a grizzly bear. Any kind of movie, any kind of program, any kind of play that tells you that Jesus Christ may have sinned, you need to run from it like it's a grizzly bear. Because the Bible teaches very plainly and very clearly that our Lord had pure blood. Uh, the, the, the triune, sinless nature of our Lord is described that in Him was no sin. He knew no sin and He did no sin. I've explained it before, but I'll explain it again. You say, preacher, what does that mean? That means uh, when it says that He did no sin, it means He committed no sins. In Him was no sin. He had no sin nature. And He knew no sin. There were no secret inward sins of the heart. He was completely pure, completely perfect. Preacher, why do you believe we have a perfect Bible tonight? Because we've got a perfect Savior. Oh, but they've corrupted our Bible. Hey, listen, our Savior bore all the way to the sins of the world on Him and it couldn't corrupt Him. Couldn't corrupt Him. I just tend to believe if we have a perfect Savior, we ought to have a perfect Scripture. 
just makes sense to me. If we have an incorruptible Savior, we ought to have incorruptible Scriptures because the Bible teaches that the living Word and the written Word are synonymous in nature. We have a perfect Savior. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In Him was no sin. It was pure blood. But let me say, secondly, that it was precious blood. That's what it says there in 1 Peter chapter 1, with the precious, precious blood of Christ. You know what denotes something as being precious? The uniqueness of it and the value of it. You say, preacher, of course it does. Well, let me give you, let me give you an example. How many of you ladies have, have some kind of uh, precious stone on your finger? Would you just lift your hand up? Lift your hand up good and high. Trying to see how many of your husbands love you. <laughs> what makes that stone precious? <clears throat> what good? Listen, t- tonight, ladies, what, what good does that stone do you? Oh, I know it's got bragging rights with it, but, but what good does it do you? Can you do anything with that? All my wife can do with hers is take it off when she's washing dishes or cleaning house or something. Set it over to the side. That's it. Roll over and smack me in the middle of the night and gash my head open, something like that, but... It doesn't do any good. So what makes it precious? What is it that makes it precious? What makes something precious? The uniqueness of it. The rarity of it. The reason you wear that diamond on your finger, whatever stone it may be, is because you can't just walk down the street and find you a diamond. took great sacrifice to put that diamond on your finger, ladies. And if you don't believe it, you husbands can say amen. (laughs) took great sacrifice to do that because it's a rare thing. And because of the value, you know, it means something to you. It means something to you. Some of you ladies, you could have probably got a bigger ring a long time ago, but you stuck with the one that you have because it means something to you. It's significant. It's precious to you. Can I say that the blood of Jesus Christ is a rare thing? Rare thing. No other blood like it. And because of the sacrifice that it took to provide that blood, heaven was bankrupted. Earth uh, raged its fury upon the Son of God. The heathen raged and the people imagined a vain thing. And the Lord of glory was crucified and sacrificed for your sins and mine. That took a great sacrifice tonight. It's not just any old blood. It's precious blood. Let me say thirdly, it is particular blood. I want you to look at the next verse, what it says. Look at verse number 20. The Bible says, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. That wasn't just any blood. It was specific blood. It had to be the blood of the Son of God. Why is that, preacher? We had offended a holy God. It took holy blood. It took holy blood to satisfy that offense. We had offended an eternal God. It took eternal blood to satisfy that offense. We had uh, we had offended a divine being. It took divine blood. And it took the blood of Jesus. Nobody else could die for your sins. You couldn't die for your sins. If you died for your sins, it still wouldn't pay the sin debt because you'd die and go to hell eternally. You'd never finish paying it. You, you cannot pay your own sin debt. It took His blood. It didn't take Muhammad's blood. Uh, it didn't take all... It, it, it never even was a historical figure, but even if he was, it wouldn't have took His blood. It didn't take Buddha's blood or Confucius' blood. It took the blood of the Son of God. See, that upsets the Muslims tonight. You know why? And most Muslims revere the name of Jesus Christ above most Christians. Did you know that? I mean, most Muslims get more upset at you if you take the Lord's name in vain in front of them than most Christians would. But they get upset when you start talking about that particular blood and that necessary blood. You know why? Because they believe he was just a good man and a teacher and a prophet. 
That's, that's what they believe. And you listen tonight, you can believe he was the best man that ever lived. But if all you believe is that he was a man, you're going to die in your sins and split hell wide open. It took the blood of the son of God. I want to show you a final thing and I'm going to close. I want you to see not only we see the merit that's given to us and the means of that. Oh, but I like this. We see the measure of what was done. Look at the end of this verse, uh, verse number 7 of Ephesians, chapter number 1. The Bible says, the forgiveness of sins, underscore this, underscore. I want this galvanized on your heart's mind, according to the riches of His grace. Aren't you thankful tonight it didn't say out of, it said according? You say, preacher, why would that make a difference? Well, it shows us three things. I, I want you to notice, first off, we see the source of where this came from. It's by grace. It's by grace in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says we are accepted in the beloved. That's what the book of Ephesians says. The source of our redemption tonight is the person of Jesus Christ. Don't confuse this. It is not. The source of our redemption is not found solely in the historical act on Calvary, but rather in the living person of Jesus Christ. You know why I think we have so many people make professions of faith but never really get saved? You're asking them to acknowledge a historical event. You're asking them to admit... I've seen it done before. I've seen people stick a Bible under someone's nose and say, read these three verses and say, do you believe that? And they'll say, yeah. And they'll say, you're saved. They ain't no more saved uh, than, than a lost goose. Amen. What does that even mean? Why do preachers do that? I think you just you start saying something, then you got to say something. You don't know what it is, so you just say it. But you know what I mean, Ralph. You've seen lost gooses. They're a wicked group of people. It don't make a lot of sense, does it? They ain't no more saved than anything. They ain't no more saved than the devil himself. Because it's not about acknowledging a historical event. It's not about saying, yes, I believe that Christ died on Calvary. Now, that's vital, that's important, that's necessary. But it does not end there. It doesn't end at the cross. You have to take Him to the empty tomb and tell Him He's living today. When you get saved, what you're doing is you're asking a living Savior to forgive you and to save you. It's by His grace and in His person that He does that. We're saved through Him, by Him, of Him, and... In Him. In Him we see the source. But I like this. Notice the scope. The scope of this redemption. This is what I like. Uh, let me give you a little example. I heard it a long time ago and it's stuck in my mind. How, how many of y'all have played golf at some time? Have played golf. Any of you ever played golf at a place nice enough to have caddies? Anybody? Anybody? Oh, we're a poor group of people, ain't we? It ain't no wonder given's down. <laughs> You go to these uh, these golf courses and they have caddies and they'll carry your bag or drive your cart or whatever you need. And uh, I heard the illustration given of a man and his business associate were standing at the golf course one time and the caddy was standing there beside them. And they had come to the end of the 18th hole. They were on the 18th green and they were done and the, cardi, uh, the, the caddy was getting ready to part ways. And uh, both of these men were millionaires. And... Uh, one of the men looked at that caddy and said, here's your tip. And he took out of his billfold a $5 bill and gave it to him. What was $5 to a man that had millions? He tipped him out of his riches. The other man turned around and looked at that caddy and wrote him a check for $5,000. And handed it to him and said, here, I want you to have this. The caddy is just blown away and... He says, why would you do this? He said, I've got enough 
to give enough. That man tipped according to his riches. That's the difference tonight. (laughs) If you were saved out of his grace, you might be barely saved. But you're not saved out of his grace tonight. You're saved according to his grace tonight. You're saved abundantly. (laughs) You're not just saved barely tonight. You're saved abundantly tonight. Your redemption is not just minimal. Your your redemption is, is as big as the mountains and larger and deeper than the oceans and bigger than the world could contain. That's your redemption tonight. He saved you according to his grace. We see the span of it. According to his grace. Let me ask you something. Will the grace of God ever deplete? No. The grace of God ever run out, ever ever go bad? Does the grace of God have a shelf life? The Bible says that in the ages to come, we might show the exceeding kindness of, it, of His grace. That, that we might show in ages to come the grace of God. Grace isn't going to end. Listen, grace isn't going to end when time ends. The good grace of God is going to be an eternally present thing. Do you know why? Because grace does not only deal with the element of fallen man and sinful man. It, it deals with all of God's expression of goodness towards man. And he's not going to quit being good when time ends. He's going to keep on being good. <laughs> but but we see that grace is never going to end. Grace is never going to run out. Grace never falls short. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know what that tells me? It tells me that in the person of Jesus Christ... You know, I used to be worried... I, I don't know. Maybe you don't feel this way. Some of you probably do. And if just one of you knows what I'm talking about, then I'll encourage you enough that you could do a backflip tonight. <laughs> I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life I've been afraid to confess my sins to God. You know why? I felt like I wasn't sorry enough for Him. Ever been there before? I don't know. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you don't even sin. I don't know, but this preacher does. There's been times that I felt like, am I really sorry enough? Am I broken enough? Will God forgive me? Or how about one of these? I've messed up so many times. Why would He forgive me again? Let me ask you something. If God was going to treat you that way, why would He have forgiven you the first time knowing you was going to do it again? We're not forgiven just out of His grace, but according to His grace. The span of it is eternal. God doesn't forgive you because you're so sorry. One of the great misnomers about repentance is that it's meritorious for salvation. When Augustus M. Toplady sat down and penned the words, and by the way, Augustus M. Toplady that pinned down the words, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Uh, Augustus M. Toplady was a staunch uh, five-point Calvinist. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't have a Calvinist bone in my body. If I did, I'd break it. Amen? I'm not even a bit Calvinist. But there's one thing that Augustus M. Toplady, uh, that, that he honed in on that I think is vital and important for us to understand. He said, Could my tears forever flow? Could my zeal no longer show? These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. You know what he was trying to say? He was trying to say our repentance is not meritorious of salvation. God doesn't save us because we're so sorry. God doesn't save us because we have exhibited some kind of self-deprecation to such a degree that he believes we're sincere. God saves us because of the person of Jesus Christ. God forgives us. God doesn't forgive you because you're never going to do it again. On the contrary, neighbor, God's willing to forgive you because He knows you are going to do it again. God doesn't forgive you uh, because you're never going to mess up. But according to His grace, He forgives us because He knows we're going to mess up tonight. 
And it's not in our uh, attempts at, at righteousness or our attempts at repentance. You say, preacher, are you saying we don't have to repent? No, of course we have to repent. But your repentance does not earn the forgiveness of God. It allows the forgiveness of God, but it does not earn the forgiveness of God. No, tonight He forgives us in the person of Jesus Christ. Because of what He did on Calvary for you and me. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to His grace. Aren't you thankful tonight it's not about you or me, it's about Him? Can I say to you tonight, if you're here tonight and you've never been saved, can I say that in Him you can know salvation? If you're here tonight and you've messed up, let me just ask a question. I don't know, we may not even get any hands on this, but how many of you at some point in your life you've messed up? Would you just slip your hand up? Okay, there's a couple, okay? Okay, so if you've messed up tonight, you're, you're in at least fair company. <laughs> I could put you in better company. I could put you with, with uh, murderers and liars and thieves and adulterers in the Word of God that God used in mighty ways because they repented and got their life correct before Him. And so tonight, if your life needs to be settled before Him, if you've failed in some way, can I say that, that just because, yeah, you may do it again, you ought not go into it with the mindset, I'm going to do it again, but if you're flesh and bone, you'll probably fail Him again. That's no reason to stay in sin. Come to the altar. Come to Christ. It doesn't have to be at this altar. Come to Him. It's in Him. In Him tonight that you can get your heart and life right.